passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to another Draft Podcast on the Baseball America Podcast feed. I'm Carlos Glaza, joined by Peter Flaherty. As always, today is November 30th, the final day of the month, and we are here to talk about our most recent 2024 Top 100 Draft Update. Peter, how are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? I'm doing great. My Thanksgiving, the holiday itself, was outstanding. A lot of great food and great company. The sports part of it, uh, it couldn't be worse. It couldn't have been worse. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a Boston College fan, they start off the basketball season 4-0. They proceeded to lose two games in 24 hours to drop to 4-2. and BC yep. football got throttled by Miami. <laughs> and then the Seahawks on Thanksgiving night got beat handily by the 49ers. So sports-wise, it was a 20. Holiday, as always, <laughs> was a 70. So I'll take it. Okay, okay. I would say my holiday was probably a, a 55 this year. Uh, we didn't get to go see family just because of some work obligations. Had to stick around here and, and all of our families back in North Carolina. Um, but it was good. We had some good food. It was a nice, chill day. But I'd say mine's kind of the inverse of yours. My sports, not necessarily Thanksgiving uh, specifically, but I mean, basically just last night, UNC basketball beats a, I think they're a number 10 ranked Tennessee team that supposedly had the number one defense in the country entering the game. And my Tar Heels put up 60 points in the first half. They got a win. Duke basketball took the L in the same night. That's always a, a <laughs> phenomenal day in the Colazo household over here. So I can't complain about my my college sports fandoms. They they had a, a really good week. <laughs> Must be nice. I haven't had one of those <laughs> weeks as a BC fan uh, in probably 15 years. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're a Wake Forest fan, maybe you were happy with us on, on the BA front because on our updated draft list, I think uh, we can take this conversation in, in any direction you want to go, Peter. I just felt like it would be fun to talk about the top 100 update on the site right now. You can see the list with full scouting reports. We also have a supplemental piece with that, just looking at 10 of the more notable risers on the board. Seaver King, Caleb Bonimer are kind of the guys that are topping that list. Um, but in terms of demographics and schools, it's it's almost shocking to see Wake Forest with this much talent at the top. It shouldn't be shocking. We've talked about it. We know about the transfers who have come in. But to have five players inside the top 35, I really need to go back and look and see what our most loaded school is in any given draft year. Like who, what team has had the most top 50 prospects on a draft board? Because I would imagine this team would be up there with some of the better ones we've had, some of the Vanderbilt teams of old, some of the Florida teams. Uh, LSU, I'm not sure if they had a team that would have quite that many uh, in recent years. But, man, it's... It's pretty impressive. Nick Kurtz is number one on the board. Then you have Chase Burns and Seaver King at number seven and eight. You have Josh Hartle at 16 and then Michael Massey at number 35. So it's a it's a new day for Wake Forest at this point. I feel like they're one of the premier college baseball teams in, in the in the landscape, at least in terms of prospects at this point. How I mean, what are your thoughts on Wake? What are your thoughts on the top 100? Are there any notable directions you want to take this conversation? I guess starting with Wake, obviously super well represented with the five in the top 35 and then even narrowing it down more three in the top eight. And I mm -hmm. think that what they're going to show this year and then in years ahead with Coach Walter and, and kind of this new era in Winston-Salem is that the Omaha run they had last year wasn't kind of a one and done like once every 50 year type of thing. Like they're going to have a seat at that table on a pretty regular basis and looking at the team that they have this year, I mean, they're, they're very well positioned to make that run again. And you talk about, I think Chase Burns right now, again, a lot can change in the cycle and, and so much will change as we go through the season. But I think right now he's, he's probably the top arm on the board. Like, I mean, he is where he's stationed, but I think that right now 
like it's a little I, I think that right now he's pretty clearly the best arm in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh that's not to say that that someone like a Brody Bracht or even a Josh Hartle, a, a Jonathan Santucci, if we want to get a little more sleeperish, yeah. can can work their way into that conversation. But I think Burns right now is the top arm. Mm-hmm. And then going back to King, it's been nothing but rave reviews on him since even last spring at Wingate when he started to turn some heads. I think that he's going to be one of the more dynamic players in all of college baseball was the best D two player last year was excellent on the Cape and with team USA super explosive operation, big time bat speed. Like, I mean, he's turned in 70 grade run times. I think that the only question mark with him right now is okay. Where's this guy going to end up positionally? I don't think there's a slam dunk, but I don't think that it's a positional gray area that's a negative like Mm. some of these other guys like he is super athletic where he can hold his own at short he can probably hold his own at third he can certainly play second base but where they've tried him this center this this fall uh is in center field where his speed and athleticism have translated really well and if he Mm. can establish himself as a pro center fielder i mean it's like he is a one, one dark horse, I think in my mind. And yeah. I think that he's probably the type, especially in that ballpark to have a chance at a 2020 season. And I know I've been the like yelling about Seaver King <laughs> for a while, but I'm very excited to see what he does in the ACC because he also has the benefit of establishing, although not as lengthy as other guys, this would bat track record of success in the Cape and success with USA. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm very excited about him as 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 a player. I am, too. I mean, I'm still waiting on the first piece of feedback from any scout in the industry that does anything other than raving about him. Like his track record is phenomenal. He's hit really everywhere he's been. Obviously, Division two to Division one and getting into the ACC will be a new challenge. But the fact that he does have that wood bat track record, the fact that he does have a really appealing up the middle profile uh, it's a very exciting player, and and if he is looking at an outfield tag next spring, I think he fits squarely in that Mike Sirota Van Tunnicutt mold, and you could maybe even say you'd prefer him over those two players for various reasons. But I think it's interesting that Wake Forest, they've never had a hitter selected inside the top 10 picks, and based on our board right now, they have a chance to get two next year, which is a pretty loud way to snap that streak for your program. I also think, too, that like looking at our top 10 here, it's all college players. We only have nine high school players inside the top 30 picks on this board. So it's a very college-heavy top-of-the-draft class as it stands right now. Really what stands out to me about this draft class is just how muddled it really is. Like I don't view – I maybe view the top 10 as like a single tier in and of itself. Like I don't know that there's too much separation between guys like Kurtz and Weatherholt and Bazana at the top – to a Seaver King or a Braden Montgomery or a Tommy White. Like, I, I think it's wide open. It's certainly not uh, the same sort of board we were thinking about a year ago around this time where Dylan Cruz is clearly the top guy. Chase Dolander was clearly the top college pitcher. I, I know you mentioned Chase Burns. He's in that spot now, but the separation between Chase Burns and whoever you wanted to put as your number two pitcher, whether that's Brody Brett with Iowa, Josh Hartle at Wake Forest, Hagan Smith, at Arkansas, if there's someone else further than the board that you really liked, like I don't, I don't view a ton of separation between Burns and whoever that second pitcher is compared to just the way scouts were talking about Chase Dolander uh, and and kind of how he had established himself in that spot uh, a year ago at this time. Obviously, Dolander wound up kind of falling down the board a little bit. He went third uh, in terms of the college pitching pecking order, and, and no one could have really anticipated what Paul Skeens did, but. I guess I'll just reiterate that regardless, any given draft class at this stage in November, there's a lot that's going to change, but it feels especially so for this 2024 draft class. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out because while it doesn't have like the Dylan Cruz or a Paul Skeens as last year, it's going to have so much volatility and the talent really isn't as far off as you'd think. Like that that trio up at the top, the trio of bats with Kurtz, Weatherholt, and Bazana with more eyes on them this spring with it being their draft year, just more eyes in terms of the general public following them. They're going to be pretty blown away with what they see. I think um, I had the privilege of watching JJ and Travis on the Cape and they even exceeded my already high expectations. And then going back to your point about this 
kind of the top 10 being its own tier, even the, in looking past it at these, these first three prep guys with Connor Griffin, PJ Morlando and Caleb Bonimer at 11, 12 and 13 respectively. Mm-hmm. Like they're all like, that's all. They're also right there. Charlie Conan at 14, even like you can shuffle them. Yeah, it wouldn't a be surprising di- at all if Charlie Condon just went off and was a top five pick next. Spring. Right. Like you can shuffle them a lot of different ways. And I'd probably hear you out on why you have so-and-so here and so-and-so there. So that's, what's going to make this class really fun. And then in terms of the number two arm, like you said, it is kind of pick your poison at, at least right now. And I mean, I'm going to stick with the wake theme here. It's probably Josh Hartle mm. and he's got the best pitch ability in the class, either him or Danny Avidia from Grand Canyon, who's also going to be a, a high pick in his own right. Um, Hartle this fall has been up to 95, two distinct breaking balls. But I mean, the calling card is that mid eighties, low nineties power cutter. That's just lethal. And I mean, he's got a true five pitch mix. Six five left-handed starter up to ninety-five with a pretty aesthetically pleasing delivery. That's going to be really hard to pass on, and you can only pass on it for so long. So, um, it's going to be very fun, like this draft cycle, because there's going to be so much movement. Probably not fun trying to keep up with all of it, but uh, everyone is going to have, I think, different thoughts on the class and uh, their own preferences, and it's going to make for a really fun year, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a draft class too, where I think like, like you said, depending on your preferences, what you value in a prospect, what your team values philosophically could really shape how you're lining these players up. Like for me, it was really tough between Connor Griffin and PJ Morlando as, as to who was going to be the top high school player in the class. And a lot of our list is driven, I mean, almost entirely our list is driven by industry feedback. Um, but I did talk with some scouts who really preferred Connor Griffin because he has that prototypical projectable size, the athleticism, the tool set. Um, and they were like, hey, with Pedro Melinda, you're looking at a probably first base profile. Like for some teams and for some scouts, that's not a really sexy profile. Uh, and then for, for other teams and scouts who say, you know what, like at the end of the day, the hit tool is the most important. And PJ Morlando was the one guy in this high school group who consistently went out and hit. He hit for impact. He has a great approach. Um, if you don't feel like there is this elite kind of combo of of hitting ability and tools, like let's say a Bobby Wood Jr. a few years ago who was pretty like, checked off every box he wanted from a high school player, like it can make sense that, that you would rather go with a PJ Morlando if you have hit tool questions about a Connor Griffin. So deciding like which of those two I like personally is difficult and also just trying to find any consensus if there's any to be found in the industry between these two. And then right in that that top tier of high school players, we now have Caleb Bonimer. He was probably the biggest riser in terms of movement up the board since our July update because he entered the summer not on our top 100 list. Uh, I guess Ben really hated him when he was doing the underclass stuff. But, <laughs> but, but Bonimer really just went off. Um, he has a, a really exciting combination of physicality, uh, power, speed, athleticism on the left side of the diamond. He plays shortstop now. It might be more likely a third base profile. And I think in some ways you can make some Brady House comparisons because of that. House was a shortstop in high school, but he was big for the position. He was physical. He had power. Um, both of them moved pretty well. Uh, so I think they're, Bonimer probably will get a shot to play shortstop, but it, it shouldn't surprise anyone if he moves off the position. But just in terms of what he did offensively, he hit at a high level at multiple really impress, important events. He hit for power. He squares the ball up. Um, so he jumped jumped up the board pretty highly. I know previously you talked about how he was your favorite high school infielder of the class. He's now uh, in a more appropriate spot on the board there. And since uh, he was not one of the players that we went through in, in kind of our series breaking down five guys, uh, I wanted to let you speak about Bonimer if you, if you had any thoughts or, or takes on him. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth when you went to the – when he went to Bonner because I was talking to a couple of scouts recently and there are some that have him as their personal top high school guy in the class and you hit on it. It's due in large part to the, to the loud summer he had, especially with the bat at these high profile events, most notably area code. I think he had over 500 had a really loud showing on national TV on the PG all American classic. And if you take out just kind of the one rough stretch that he had of the summer with USA, across all the events and his travel baseball and, and kind of adding up all of these stats, he slashed 431, 541, 723 with power numbers. 
um, generates big time impact, especially the pull side. He's a good runner. The arm strength is there to stick on the left side of the infield. I think just in looking at him and how he moves, I think he's probably best and, and is going to play third base professionally, but I really like the swing. There's not a ton of movement. It's the barrel explodes through the hitting zone. Um, it's a, he's a very mature hitter wise beyond his years. And I think that he's going to be right in that top 20 overall or so conversation for the entirety of the cycle. And it, the debate with him, Griffin and Orlando is going to be really interesting because that, for my money's worth, the top pure hit tool, it's still Morlando for me. And and we'll get into, I know probably our next holiday episode around Christmas, we'll be doing what we did last week, except on the high school side, which <laughs> that'll be interesting because I'll have to go deep down the board to, yeah. to finish off my guys. But um, in terms of a pure hit, it is Morlando over Bonhamer. Again, though, I think that the gap is closer mm. than people realize. And then Griffin being that, just tooled out freak mm. um but Bonhamer's bad is for real again it's it's a it's a very enticing profile yeah it's almost like we have the full spectrum of, of what sort of prospects do you like here with the extremely polished hitter lacks projection on one side and the like let's dream on everything like uber tools uber athleticism on the left side it's like Connor Griffin would be on that far left side where you can dream the most on him. His pure upside is probably higher than anyone in this high school class and, and probably higher than a lot of the college names in front of him. Uh, but there is some risk there to the profile given his hitting ability. Caleb Bonimer, maybe you could slide him more towards the middle where he does have a few loud tools between his raw power and his speed. He had really good track record of hitting this spring. Maybe you feel good about his left side of the infield profile, but there is still some risk here. He doesn't have the same underclass track record as Griffin and Morlando do. Uh, and then PJ Morlando, he probably has the worst defensive profile of the group, but he's the only left-handed hitter. And I have to imagine you have as much conviction in his hitting ability and power as anyone in this class. Um, and so if you just want safety and security with your picks, like it would be a pretty easy case to make with, with Morlando being that guy. So it really just depends on like, what are you looking for with a high school uh, prospect? I mean, even in terms of age, it kind of works well, too. P.J. Morlando is the oldest of the group. He's 19.2 at the day of the draft. Connor Griffin is the youngest of the group. He's 18.2. And Caleb Bonimer is right in the middle. He'll be 18.8 on draft day. So it is interesting, and I think it largely just depends on like what your preferences are as a scout, uh, your tolerance for risk, um, and maybe even like when you actually saw these guys during the summer. Yeah, it, it and you mentioned it, too, with the age. It's funny how that works out. And then I think, like, in looking towards the high school arms, um, that's when it gets really kind of hairy um, yeah. for me. And I think that one guy that I'm really, really intrigued with and excited about the upside that he brings, and he's not even viewed right now as a PO in the industry. And there's, it's a pretty split camp, maybe leaning this way now, but um, Bryce Rayner, um, I'm yes. really excited about his him. ability on the mound. <laughs> Like it's an easy 96, 97 won't sit there, but he's been up to it um, with a big time breaking ball. If he can get some more field of pitch, like he moves really well. I love the arm action. Like he's a guy that I could see if he focuses on pitching only being a upper nineties type arm. And it's a great body. I think he's six four, one ninety five or so. Um, he, at area code, I know you saw him live and it was just kind of like this, like, yeah, whoa, it, it was moment. a wow performance for sure. Yeah. And so the, the upside, um, there, it, it's a big time upside play with Rainer, regardless of what he does this spring on the mound. It is kind of, you're, you're looking towards that ceiling that he has, but man, is it a really, really high one? Yeah, I agree. I think it is interesting with this class. We have more two-way players, collectively than I think we have had in years starting at the top you've got Jack Caglione who's obviously the most famous two-way player in the class and maybe the maybe the most upside on both sides you've got Braden Montgomery who's a two-way player in his own right Connor Griffin who we mentioned and we didn't really talk about a ton as a pitcher he, I've talked to some scouts who, who almost prefer him as a pitcher I think most people in the industry prefer Connor Griffin uh, and his upside as a hitter but but he's a talented pitcher in his own right we have Bryce Rayner I'm with you I really love him on the mound uh, it was almost shocking how easy he got his velocity, how easy he broke off a breaking ball. I really hope he's pitching a lot this spring. That's something he hasn't done a ton in the past. 
um, with his high school. So I, I hope that happens. Cam Caminiti, I think probably more likely to be a pitcher. More, most people in the industry like him as a left-handed pitcher. He is the top high school southpaw we have on the board right now. Um, but he's a legitimate two-way player in high school. And if he got to college, I imagine we at least have a chance to do both. Noah Franco, same thing. IMG Academy, left-handed pitcher and outfielder. Kind of at the opposite of Cam Caminiti. I like him more as a hitter. I think most of the industry is, is leaning towards him as a hitter. But he's a talented left-handed pitcher in his own right. Um, kind of scrolling down the board more, we've got Carson Benj at Oklahoma State, outfitter and right-handed pitcher. Um, we've got Will Turner at South Alabama. There are a number of high school players as well further down the board. Cole Mathis at College of Charleston. There are just a lot of like legitimate two-way players who are, are all not going to be two-way at, at the next level. Like At some point, they're going to have to pick a side and play one. Um, but figuring out which side you want them to focus on or, or figuring out which side you prefer uh, their upside long-term will be interesting. And I, I really can't think of a class that's had this many legitimate two-way talents. So that's maybe another wrinkle to this draft class that'll be interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, it, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch how it plays out. And then with you bringing up Benj and, and Cole Mathis, that kind of, it, it, it's a little bit of a segue to, I think, yeah, like these guys maybe in the middle in the middle of this hmm. top 100 who are kind of lurking in the weeds so to speak where there is a ton of room for them to to move themselves and push themselves way higher even in the first round i guess before getting to that mentioning another big riser Caleb Lomavita um yeah, from Cal Berkeley yeah he's again including Jacob Cozart who i know he's a great catcher in his own right he's a likely top 30 35 40 type pick but my my favorite catcher in the class is actually Loma Vita from Cal and in 2023 um he was outstanding um he 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 tapped into his power 13 doubles 16 home runs like and I've seen him now for two summers on the Cape and it's legit 60 power that he gets into in games um and he's made some really positive adjustments in the operation it previously used to be a really high leg kick. He's now kind of dumbed that down. Um, it's a loose handset. I really like the swing. He rotates super well, gets great extension through the ball, and there, there's present bat speed there too. And the power that he's able to generate, especially to the pull side, like he has hit with wood, like legit big time, like no doubt home runs where I'm like, okay, like this is big time. And I think that what – what I've seen with Loma Vida is not only an established track record where, mm. um, you know, he was really solid as a freshman at Cal had this great sophomore year, but he's also, he has the across two summers on the Cape. He's a two-time all-star and has a career slash line of 323, 364, 460. And that's against the best talent um, in the country. And then not only does he have the track record, he continues to make these positive tweaks to his game that pay dividends and help maximize the upside that he has. Like the bat to ball skills have really improved in 2023. He had a 90% in zone contact rate and 91% against fastballs. The chase rates have lowered. Like there's the one bugaboo in his game and he knows it too is right on right breaking balls and picking up spin out of the hand. Like that's when he, that's the biggest tendency he has to expand the zone and he'll run into trouble there um with chasing those but like the hit tool has really improved it's a borderline 55 and then again you have this super super athletic catcher like moves extremely well behind the plate the defense has taken big time strides the catch and throw skills are really really good like he is popping 185s 187s in game and the arm strength he's getting off some throws that I'd, I'd grade out as a 60. And then I think that the most underrated part of his game is he's a plus runner. Like he's going to steal, if they let him run at Cal, he's going to steal 15 to 20, 15 to 20 bases. Um, that's how quick he is. And um, he's athletic enough for, you know, they'd even have him run around in center field in the fall. So I think like when looking at catchers and like where guys can go like i don't think that loma vita is going to last all that long especially if he continues to hit at cal mm -hmm. where i think the pac-12 as a whole is an rip after this year but uh <laughs> like as a whole the pac-12 is probably the most underrated conference in baseball 
And I say underrated because I, I think that it's probably the most polished baseball in the country. Like you have the, the loads of talent in the SEC and the ACC, but the Pac-12 I think is the closest thing to like a clean professional game hmm. with probably the most advanced arms, I would say. Like all of these guys know how to pitch. Like they'll pitch backwards. It does seem um, like there are a lot of West Coast college programs who who have a reputation of getting a lot of these pitchability arms and guys who are maybe not the most highly regarded coming out of high school. But it, it does feel like every year there's a, a handful of really command oriented pitchers who are like maximizing their stuff. So it's funny that you say this. Exactly. So like I'll get off my soapbox, but Loma Vita is <laughs> a guy who he got he, he got a pretty healthy bump up. Um, he's sitting there at 25. I think that he'll probably sit in that range, maybe a little bit higher. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Let, let me go further down the board and stick at the college catcher demographic because this is oh, a player who... Oh, you take another guy that I was going to talk about. Yeah, so let's, let's get into him. Like, this guy didn't rank on our top 100 entering the year. He probably was in a range where he easily could have been at the back end of the list. He's still in that, like, 80 to 90 range here. Um, so, like, top three rounds is basically what a top 100 list is trying to convey. Anyone who's got a chance to go in that sort of range. And, and this player is Walker Janik. He's a catcher at Sam Houston State. He is a player who... As I was going over all the data, all the feedback, uh, notes, just talking with scouts and, and watching him more, I haven't seen him in person yet, but I really started to like Walker Janik uh, quite a bit, and it wouldn't shock me if he was a guy who continued to move up the board. His performance offensively at Sam Houston State has been very solid for two years. He's a 300-plus 300, uh, 300 hitter in back-to-back seasons. Overall, it's 303, 402, 506. Uh, he went from... Seven home runs as a freshman in 2022 to 13 home runs in 2023. Uh, add a little bit more slug, four doubles to 17 doubles. He also played in the Cape Cod League this summer with Falmouth, where he was solid there. He hit 281, 364, 474 with five homers. Um, so the offense is fine. It's very solid. I think maybe there are th- some things we could critique with the swing if we wanted to, but defensively, he looks phenomenal behind the plate. I think he has a reputation as one of the better catch and throw um backstops in the class i'm curious if you think like he is the top guy there or which other players you would put in that conversation um but if you want a catcher and i think college catching is probably the one demographic that will consistently get pushed up boards because every team needs catchers in their organization uh teams really are scared of the high school catching demographic it's perhaps the riskiest overall and so then you get these college catchers who maybe you have to project less on defensively to stick at the position and you also feel good about whatever their college offensive performance is, uh, you wind up with those limited profiles that you get in any given draft year being moved up because there just aren't that many of them. But Janik looks the part behind the plate. He presents the ball well. He sits athletically uh, behind the dish. He really folds up with a one. He's set up well. He moves well to the side. I thought he blocked the ball well and centered balls well, um, both to his glove side and to his arm side. He's quick with his release. He's efficient on his transfer. I thought it was plus arm strength. He was getting some 1.85 second pop times in game when I was watching him with solid accuracy, solid carry. I mean, between both of his seasons at Sam Houston State and the Cape Cod League, he's thrown out 27% of base runners, which is solid and honestly a little less than I would have expected given given his defensive actions. But man, I, I really like him as a defender. I feel like the profile is like one of these high floor types just given his defensive ability. And and like you said with Loma Vida, he's also a really good runner for a catcher. He stole six bags his, his first year with Sam Houston State, and then he added 10 um, in 2023. So I really came to like him quite a bit. Uh, if he takes a step forward offensively, then great. I mean, there is some swing and miss against secondaries. He'll expand the zone a little bit, but... It's been fine performance, and I think he has solid contact skills as well. Yeah, you. I mean, you summed him up really well. Like this summer, he was a guy that I became pretty enamored with. You mentioned the the track record at Sam Houston with the bat. He's taken a step forward year over year in terms of production, especially on the power side. And I was honestly, like, to be quite frank, I was pretty surprised he wasn't an all star on the Cape this year. Uh, there have been know, a lot of questionable decisions with what happens with catchers in the summer at various. <laughs> and leagues <laughs> yeah so like we're talking about a catcher who hit 281 with five doubles five bombs and 17 rbi and 30 games and he was outstanding with the bat like i 
at least when I saw him, I saw plus raw at, at least a strong 55 with him. Uh, if, if someone wanted to call it plus, I certainly wouldn't have any gripes with it. Um, but you mentioned it with him, it's the defense and he's a little bit reminiscent last year of kind of a guy that you can point to and be like, Hey, he's the guy defensively in this class of Connor Burns from long beach. Um, it's a one knee setup and like being like the, the old spirit that I am, I was curious to see how it would work. Hmm. He made it work just fine. And I get like yeah. the whole question mark around it and, and all this, but if it works, it works. And he handles balls in the dirt. Well, he moves well, the catch and throw skills, I think is what really sets him apart. Um, you mentioned that he's got really good feet, quick transfer. It's a 60 arm. And then in terms of throwing guys out, this summary threw out 36% of potential base dealers, which was probably like that number and that you were expecting to see. Yep. Um, and so now you're talking about a catcher who has a track. And again, what you mentioned at the end, which I think is underrated, like there's some swing and miss with this game. And I think that comes to maybe the approach not being super, super refined. Like there's stuff to clean up there, but the, the, the bat to ball skills and, and feel for the barrel, like it's there. Like there was his, his zone contact rate this year, I think was, or last year was 87%. And then I think against fastballs, it was 90%. So like, you know, he's he's got a little bit of a feel to hit. So now you're talking about a catcher who is a 60 defender. He's got a 60 arm for sure. And he's got borderline 60 raw. And if he can, he can establish this hit tool as like, as as comfortably average again like that's someone who i wouldn't be shocked at when we're sitting here on day one of the draft and, and you're on mlb network uh he's he's a day one guy like end of day one guy because mm -hmm. i think that again like he opened a lot of eyes this summer he's going to get heavily scouted he's someone that guys are going to go see this year um down at sam houston state so i i think that especially if he can take that like another step forward with the bat. Don't get me wrong. What he's done has been excellent with the bat, especially for a catcher. Yeah. But if he can have a really loud year where he hits like 320 to 330, mm -hmm. 12 to 15 bombs, like that's, you know, that's only going to really help his cause. So yeah, his... I'm glad you hit on Yannick because I think that while he's well represented right now in the top 100, I think he's 84th. That's a guy who I think can climb um even further oh is it a soft j pronunciation as well i've been saying yeah so it, it okay, was cool. funny i was That's in the janet camp and then i went to go watch him this summer and the pa guy was like yannick and i was like what and yannick so, yannick sounds cooler anyway so i really approve of that uh, <laughs> that adjustment i'll have to mentally account for it is that, a great but... name too but yeah he's a he's a very fun player yeah you you'd mentioned his own contact i think it just in terms just to finally like close tie bow on this one in our catcher conversation his zone contact rate is pretty similar to caleb lomavita and jacob cozart who are top two college catchers um his overall contact is not quite at that level and i think part of it is the approach his chase rate uh, was a little more aggressive than both cozart and lomavita particularly uh with the gap from cozart uh and, and also just the top end exit velocities are, are a little bit further away from those two so if he can come out a little stronger shore up the offensive approach and really put up big numbers in that conference i think like just hearing the way scouts were talking about him this summer at events like people just talking about the class in general he seems to have a really sterling defensive reputation and if he can layer on uh some more offensive performance and clean up some of the underlying things uh i think it's a really attractive profile overall but enough of the college catcher demographic i think it's a really solid one and, and maybe on draft day uh, it could look a lot better than it does right now where do you want to head next, Peter? Because there are any number of things we could talk about in this draft class. So I'm curious if you have a demographic, a, a player that moved up the board, a player that moved down, or maybe some more players further uh, towards the, the back half of the list that you're excited about. Let's just take it wherever you want to go now. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to stick with a couple of like these so-called lurkers, like in the 40 on range who yeah. they're well represented right now, but could very well be solid like first round types when we get to July. I'll start with Dakota Jordan from Mississippi State. I was going to mention him, so I'm glad that you did. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, like I tweeted about him last week, and I think the best way to describe him. You zeded about him, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I axed zeded. Yeah. I spoke about him last week, and I think the best way to talk about him is he's just super, super freaky. Yes. And he's a physical specimen, six foot, 220 pounds. He was a great football player in high school. He's a great athlete. 
the the bat speed in the box it's an 80 like it's yeah i think jj mentioned this last year on twitter just saw there was a video of him homering that went fairly viral on social media and jj quoted it and it was like if you want to know what bat speed looks like watch this and i thought it was like summed up extremely well i don't think there's a player in this class that has quicker pure bat speed than he does it is like tremendously fast the way he is able to like (laughs) get the barrel through the zone I was going to say in a class where you can talk about so many guys kind of close to one another, whether it be top of the board, a positional group, a certain tool, Dakota Jordan is the bat speed standard. Like I don't, there's not one guy I think that comes rather close and maybe like Caglione on some of the swings he gets off, but on the consistent 80 grade bat speed, Jordan's the guy and he's got 70 raw power to all fields. If you look at like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, if you look at 90th percentile exit velocity in all of college baseball last year, like regardless of class, the top five players were Kemp Alderman at Mississippi, Warren Laster at University of Incarnate Word, Jack Caglione at Florida, Dakota Jordan, and Joe Vitrano. So these are like the elite EV guys, and it's it was completely unsurprising to me to see Dakota Jordan's exit velocity numbers just be right there with, with Jack. They're eye popping and and what and he's a draft eligible sophomore too, so he can only have so much of a track record. He had a strong freshman year at Mississippi State at 307 with 19 extra base hits, including 10 home runs, 44 RBIs, and 40 games. And then in the NECBL, surprisingly enough, we can get into the nuances of summer ball and summer ball contracts if we'd like, but uh, he would have played on the Cape, he, he could have played on the Cape, but it's if you send in a contract for the NECBL, you can't get released from it. He sent in his contract. He had his great year. He can't play in the Cape. So he went to the NECBL. He had 379 in 11 games. Um, the approach, which I think right now, and just simply making contact is the biggest key for Jordan yep. in terms of maximizing his upside. He had the same number of walks as he did Case in the NECBL. And then in one game with USA, we're talking about a 12-game sample size and a small one. Um, like the bat to ball skills are going to need to improve, but in the 12 games this summer, he swung and missed it at zero fastballs, which I don't care where you're playing or who you're playing against. That's impressive. And I think that that's a very positive development for him. Um, and then when you kind of get into these underlying numbers, like you were saying, the 90th percentile exit velocity, the max exit velocity of 118.6 was also the fourth highest at the D one level. That's just silly. And then when you go to the average exit velocity, it's 93.9, which to the naked eye, it might seem less loud and, and less eye-popping, but Jack Caglione's average exit velocity, at least what I have here, was 93.7. So mm. he is right there with these upper echelon guys. In terms I think of Dylan Cruz was also in a similar 93 range last year, if I remember correctly, and he stood out uh, for at least like top of the class guys a year ago with, with one of the better average exits. His was a couple of ticks higher than that. Maybe in pro ball, he had a 93 EV with wood, which that would track. I think I think on average, it's about a two mile per hour adjustment from from the metal to the wood for most players. But either way, continue. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like the impact that he's able to generate when he makes contact is really second to none in this class. But again, like the approach, he's going to really have to clean it up, like the pitch recognition skills. Like if he's able to do that, I think you're looking at a, a huge sophomore year that he's going to be able to have and someone who could very well play his way into the first round. Um, but again, that's kind of the big question mark with him. So he's a little bit volatile in terms of his stock. And then in the outfield, again, you mentioned the athleticism, which is is really, really solid. He's a fo- great football player in high school. The actions are surprisingly good. Like he's got a quick feet. The arm is average. Like the instincts are there. Um, it could translate well to center field, but again, when you're talking about like maybe a little bit of a knock on the, the profile is I think he's probably best and ends up long-term in left field, which isn't too much of a hit, but he's a guy right now at 41 that I think has a golden opportunity to play himself, um, higher and into that top 25 to 30 overall Mm. pick range. Okay, I'm going to name two more players, two kind of last players to hit on for me that I'm intrigued about um, and get your thoughts because they are both college players and I'll let you maybe have the final word on this updated list. But I'll stick with the kind of two-way football player, baseball player, athletic demographic here and, and go with Will Taylor, 
who is a guy who is consistently tough for me to place on a draft board. He seems fairly polarizing in the industry, at least in the, the reporting that I've been able to do on him. He was obviously a very highly regarded high school player coming out of the 2021 class. He was uh, kind of alongside Bubba Chandler as two sport athletes committed to Clemson. Chandler signed out of high school. Taylor made it to campus where he did play as a wide receiver and a punt returner with Clemson. When I was like going over this profile and report, I was like, man, why didn't I take Taylor for my speed profile? Because he can turn in double plus times. Um, but he also had a really good offensive year. He, he didn't play every day in 2022. It was kind of a mediocre uh, or below average offensive season, I think you could say. In 2023, he hit 361, 488, 521 in 62 games. It's an OPS over 1,000. He homered five times, doubled 16 times, stole 11 bags, and wasn't caught once. Um, he struggled in the Cape this summer, did not have the greatest uh, outing. It was a 231, 349, 337 line with an 18% strikeout rate. So I think there are still questions about what is he ultimately as a hitter in his offensive profile, like the the defensive profile, the supplemental tools, the speed, the defensive ability, the ball tracking skills that kind of translate from the football field, I think make him a really appealing up to middle profile. If he is able to sort of refine the offensive approach, I'm not sure how much power he's ever going to get to. He does not have anything close to Dakota Jordan bat speed or physicality or strength. I don't think he necessarily needs that to to move out the board next ring, but I'm curious what you think about him as a player and, and as a hitter specifically. Yeah, I, I think Taylor, again, he had that really good sophomore year at Clemson. Um, the former, again, former football player who is actually like a legit football player in Clemson. He caught a mm -hmm. touchdown last year. Um, so like, we're not talking about a guy who was like rostered, like he played <laughs> on Clemson. Um, but it, like great year offensively uh in the spring you mentioned he at 362 there really wasn't a lot of power there like he can run i i think he's gotten into like the running ability less than you know i'd maybe like in game he only swiped 11 bases um and then this summer i caught him a few times which again it i it's enough to formulate an opinion on him um maybe not a final one but I don't know. I, I think that he fits well right here in this like 45 to, to 55 range. Um, certainly like anyone can in the draft class, he mm. can play his way up as really as far as conceivably possible with a, with a spring, with a strong showing this spring. But for me, I kind of like him more down here. I wasn't super impressed offensively this summer. Yeah. Um, it like, I was really excited it coming into the summer to get a look at him. And I was even more excited when I heard that, like, the football wouldn't interfere. He'd be able mm -hmm. to be there for the for the whole time, and and get some get a quality summer under his belt. I just I was left like just wanting more with Taylor. Like mm -hmm. I didn't see these flashes that I was expecting. I think that I left thinking he'd probably be best in left field defensively. Mm -hmm. um, I again the plate skills need work, and in terms of generating impact nothing really blew me away again yeah. i'm getting real nitpicky here i am he hopeful that a year off of football and focusing on baseball will kind of allow him to get back more towards that that pedigree he had coming out of high school because i, I think the way you're talking about him is the way the industry feels about him just just given how highly regarded he was in high school he hasn't quite lived up to that reputation now and people are now trying to like figure out is this the real taylor the whole time does he have more to unlock when he's focused on baseball um so he, he'll be really interesting to see next spring Right. And that's a great point because Brody Brecht is in a similar boat um, a little bit. Granted, Brecht has the arguably like from a pure stuff standpoint, probably the loudest stuff in the class. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different. But like he just now also had his first fall and Brody Brecht needs to improve in his strike throwing ability, establishing himself as a starting pitcher. And that those are all things that people are really hopefully can do with focusing on baseball full time, playing fall baseball like being a one sport guy. And I think that that's absolutely fair to say with Taylor too. Like this is his first fall baseball. Um, you know, can he clean up his, his plate skills? Can he just refine his game overall um, more? And I think that this spring, I think what people are going to want to see is definitely some more impact because right now he's got uh, he played 13 games as a true freshman. So like he's really got, he's got six home runs as a, a across a, a season and 
a handful of games. So really just one full season, so to speak. He's got six home runs. Um, if he can get into that 15 to 20 range, which is going to be a big jump, um, but one I think he'll need to take in order to kind of work his way into that, like into a higher round discussion, um, that's going to be going to be a big key for him. And I think that there will be some people who still hold his performance on the Cape, maybe a little bit against him and as a little bit of a red flag, but seeing how he's able to improve and what he looks like as a one sport guy is going to be really enticing because again, a great point that you made with the, the skills that he has on the football field and how they translate to the baseball field, like especially on the ball tracking front and the athleticism, like the athleticism is next level with him. Um, that's, that's also a great point and in a, in a underlying tool, so to speak that not others have, but I think my overall thoughts on Taylor is like, if I'm a director or like a front office guy and I'm, and I'm somehow in this crazy world, I'm the only one running the draft and picking the draft. He's more a second, third round type guy for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm with you in terms of where I'd have him now, but he is one that I'm like really excited to see next spring and, and hope I get some more consensus on him from the industry and just with me personally as well. Uh, any final guy you want to mention here, Peter, before we wrap up or, yeah, or closing so comments? Keep, yeah. And keeping it to one guy. So I have, I have three guys who I think right now that are in that, let's see, 46 to 60 range, or excuse me. Yes. 46 to 60 range who could play themselves into the first round. I'm not, I'll name all three. I'll talk about one. Okay. Trey Savage from ECU is one guy who I think could be a first-round pick without a doubt. RJ Green from Cal Berkeley, I think, has a very Dylan Beavers-ish, again, lazy comp. With I the, like that the, comp. I think it's a decent comp. Yeah, he's got some Dylan Beavers to his game. He's got a chance to really, really pop with a good spring. And then Carson Benj down at 60. Benj right now, I'll talk about him because I think he has a chance – to make the biggest numerical jump on our board between now and draft time. Um, he missed his true freshman year at Oklahoma state. So he is a red shirt freshman first year college player with the Cowboys last year. He had three forty-five with 17 doubles, seven home runs, 43 RBI and more walks at 42 than strikeouts at 32. And then on a nine game stint on the Cape, he also ironically at 345 with five RBI or four RBIs rather. Um, and he would have stayed there the whole summer had he not gotten banged up. Like in, I, ha, I, I was able to watch him once on the Cape and I was really excited about what he brought in terms of pure tools and, and just his game in general and the overall package. But what stood out to me is, you know, guys either have this or they don't for the most part, like when watching him play, you can tell that he loves to play and like just loves to play baseball. He couldn't care less if it was the Cape or on Mars. Like if he got to play baseball, like he was going to love every second of it. And seeing that in a player has unfortunately become a little bit more rare nowadays and something that I was really happy about and getting back to him as a player, um, you know, kind of that wiry athletic build at 6'1", 184, maybe some room to add some more impact. It's a violent swing. Like there's a big time barrel tip. It's geared towards doing a ton of damage and getting the ball up in the air. He generates backspin consistently. Again, he played at Oklahoma State, which notoriously is a launch pad, but these home runs like weren't cheap ones. Like he generated impact to, to all fields, it's above average bat to ball skills. And like with a lot of moving parts, like Benj and this swing, like this huge, like almost like loopy at times swing um, or steep swing is a better word for it. In this steep swing with that mm. barrel tip, like he consistently is on time and gets in a good position to hit and against Velo, like, and, and he hammers heaters like against fastballs, 91 and up. He, the, he slashed 529, 691, 824. Like he just, he pulverizes fastballs and he moves well in right field. It, it's a no doubt 60 grade arm that's going to allow him to stick at the position long term. And he's someone who this spring is, is going to log innings on the mound. Um, he's been up to 96 with some field of spin. Curveball will flash depth. He's not going to pitch professionally. Like he'll be drafted as an outfielder, but 
he will log innings this spring for Oklahoma State and probably look good doing it. And um, it there's big time bat speed there. There's just a lot to like. And then the intangibles when looking under the hood with Benj just make me like him all, all that much more. And again, in this world where I'm a one man draft guy with <laughs> final say, I I'm not going to be super super afraid to use a, a first round or a comp pick on him. I love it. You got me really excited about Benj. You can now be the uh, the Benj bandwagon leader, uh, Peter. <laughs> Gladly. You've, you've, you've done your work for Seaver King. You've gotten him into the top 10 at this point, and, and Benj can be your next one. So when, when he goes Gladly. in the first round next spring, you can take your victory lap once again, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that's about going to wrap us up for today. Um, anything you want to plug or mention before we get out of here, Peter? Yeah, just finish up the top 30 for the Marlins, which was incredibly rewarding it was twelve thousand words and 30 pages (laughs) so for those who purchased the handbook i encourage anyone listening to to this episode and any episode to purchase the handbook because you're going to get not only 30 pages on the miami marlins you're going to get 30 pages or similarly to every single organization in baseball and everything that you need to know about the guys at the major league level the guys coming through the system sleepers anything you want on any team is going to be in there. So I can't recommend that enough. And then on what's to come, freshman spotlight pieces will continue, I think, for another week or two. And then going to shift gears a little bit next week, starting with releasing the top 10 college players in the 2025 class. Um, More than anything, it's just going to kind of be a personal board because we've had little time to discuss 2025, and rightfully so, because there's just no reason to focus on it. But just going to look down the pike a little bit into those guys. And then the following week, I'm going to mention 10 or so assistant coaches who are like hot rising young names in college baseball right now, because um, there are a lot of assistant coaches who I think down the road are going to be known commodities. Um, So it'll be fun to take a look at that as well. Very cool. Uh, Just to add to that, we, we now have all of our national league top tens on the site. If you want a preview of what's coming in the prospect handbook, half the league is there now this week we're starting to roll out al east top tens um next week winter meetings will be happening and that means draft lottery so we'll have draft lottery coverage we'll have our first full first round mock draft which again it's december or it will be december by the time you're listening to the podcast and by the time the draft lottery is rolling around so take that for what it's worth but we did it last year and i think 20 or so of the players on that mock were first rounders. Um, I'll have to double check those numbers, but draft lottery for, for people who are excited about this new wrinkle of the draft. Um, maybe for an A's fan or a former A's fan, you're, you're not so much excited, um, but that's happening. That's probably the big draft event on the calendar. We'll have coverage of that um, in a lot of different ways at baseballamerica.com. So I'll just kind of echo, echo what Peter said, check out the handbook. If that's something you're interested in, check out a BA sub. If you're interested in just the conversation we have here, every week uh, or prospects or baseball in general. Um, But for Peter, I'm Carlos. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.